And so tonight I want to continue this conversation. I want to continue it with another example of how, as we look at wisdom, what it can do in certain areas of your life. And the thing I want to talk about tonight is something that would probably make a lot of your parents uncomfortable. And right there, you're probably like, there's 19 million things you could say that make my parents feel uncomfortable. But it would be uncomfortable because of typically, if your parents grew up going to church grew or went to church when they were younger, when they were in college, when they were an adult, they went to church at any time in a past season. The way that church typically existed is whenever these things, these topics would come up, it would make us feel super uncomfortable because the way the church operated, and this is a fault of the church in the past, it's a fault of a lot of the church currently that we're trying to fix, we're trying to work on. Because what typically happens and what we, what we approach church with is this idea that I'm gonna take my life and I'm gonna see how the gospel of Jesus fits into my life. And so whenever you talk about stuff that has to do with my life and the things that I'm dealing with, the things I'm wrestling with, the things that I own in my life, there's this hesitancy to want to actually engage that. Because what I'm trying to do is fit the gospel into my life. But I just want to be very clear with you that here at TLR, that is not my goal. That is not our goal. That's not what we're going after. I'm not trying to see where you are as you come in here and help you figure out how can I make the gospel fit into your life. That's not what this series is about. It's actually the opposite. See, because I don't want us to live our life and just fit the gospel into our life. I think it's the other way around. What I actually want us to do is to look at the gospel, to look at Jesus, to look at who he is and what following him means and ask the question, how can my life fit into that? Not how can I make Jesus a part of my life, how can I make Jesus my life? Because at the end of the day, there's an invitation for you to follow him. To follow him meaning that you're gonna choose to say yes to the cost of Jesus. You're gonna choose to say yes when he gets involved in your stuff. You're gonna choose to say yes to finding the more and better life than you could ever dream of because that's what he wants for you. But in order to do that, you've got to make a decision, which we're going to talk about tonight, about whether or not you are going to choose to allow something that you pursue to rule your life or to allow God to rule your life. That really is this tension that I want to elevate at the beginning. Because the thing I want to talk about that none of your parents would have ever liked to talk about is money. The thing that none of y'all have, you know what I mean? Like, why are we talking about money? I'm a broke college kid. I got like $17 to my name and my parents gave me all of it. Why are we talking about this? But see, back in the past, this is one of those taboo topics that the church doesn't talk about. Don't talk about money because so many people have this experience with church where they're gonna choose not to show up to church because they're gonna sit here and say, the church is trying to get your money. That's all they're trying to do. And then they associate even some bad practices in the church of that's all God's trying to do. He's just trying to get your money. But tonight I wanna tell you that that's actually the opposite of what's true. That the way you approach this idea of wealth and how you apply wisdom into wealth is one of the most important things you can ever do. And I mean this genuinely, this isn't hyperbole, I'm not gaslighting you, this is real. The single most important season of your life to figure out what to do when it comes to wealth is right now, before you have it. Because you're going to start to see that there's so much that's actually available to you, so much wisdom available to you in every facet of your life if you would figure out how to apply it when it comes to wealth, when it comes to money. 
And see, what I know is true about your generation, it's true about mine. I would say I'm a little bit in front of you because I have gray hair. I'm a little in front of you, but I know what's true about all of our generations is we want to get it right. And really the thing that we want is we don't want fake. Like, I don't want to play game. I don't want a facade. I don't want to play this church game because really what you're asking is like, hey, what's true? What's real? And if this is true and this is real, why? Because culture tells me it's so many other things. Society tells me it's so many other things. So why is it that I should believe that what Jesus says is actually best for me? Why should I believe that living my best life is actually means I'm following Jesus with my life? That's why we're in the series, and that's why tonight I want to talk about money. Because I think that as you start to apply the wisdom of Jesus into your life in these different arenas, you're going to start to see that the, the cloudiness of what's really true and what you really believe starts to become super clear because you have this foundation of, oh, and everything fits inside of this. It will change your life and it will make your life the best possible life. So now we started this combo two weeks ago. When we started this combo, I started out with the idea of like, what's the most valuable thing? In our culture, our world, Google, everything possible would tell you that wealth is the most valuable thing, but we also introduced this problem that we all were able to see and we were all able to feel and we were all able to gasp about when I burned $5,000. It wasn't real money. Don't come after me, okay? That's illegal to do. It's not real. But I had some fake money movie, movie money and I burned it because we realized there's a problem when it comes to wealth and it's this. The problem with wealth is that you can lose it. The problem with wealth is that you can lose it. You don't even have to try like, there are so many ways where wealth's like, deuces, you don't have me anymore. You can't control it, you can't own it, you think you can, and so you go after it, but the problem is that you can lose it. Now, here's why I wanna go kind of V2 on that conversation. Because simply knowing the problem doesn't actually give us a solution. And wisdom would tell you that you need a solution. And I think a lot of your stories, and probably a lot of your bank accounts would say, we need a solution. I actually heard Samer tell a story that a few years ago at TLR, a girl came up to him and was like, Samer, Samer, guess what, guess what? I just bought my ticket to Passion Conference. How many of y'all been to Passion Conference before? It's incredible. It's this like three-day thing with 80,000 people worshiping Jesus. It's awesome. So this girl was like proud, like, I just, I'm going to Passion. He's like, that's awesome. She's like, yeah, and, but I checked my bank account and I got negative $6 to my name. And he's like, wait a minute, What? A, how many of you have negative dollars to your name? Please don't raise your hand. I don't know that that's even real. But for her, somehow it did. It was a mistake, I think. But it doesn't matter. She's thinking, I did this incredible thing for my faith. Yeah, it doesn't really line up with my finances, but it's fine because I'm going to passion. And Samer in that moment was like, no, sweetheart, that is not the answer. Because if you have negative money to your name, that's not your best life. We'd all agree with that. But what we need to realize is this conversation is not about how much or how little you have. Negative $6 or $16 million, this conversation about the wisdom of wealth is gonna apply no matter where you are because ultimately, this is about getting a foundation of wisdom in the best possible way when it comes to your wealth. Because right now, everything that you're doing is starting to actually build habits in your life. I'd say it this way. You need to understand that right now, you are building financial habits. You're building financial habits right now with the decisions that you're making when it comes to money. And what you do, this is what you need to get, what you do with a little because of these habits 
will determine what you do with more one day when you're done with college and mom and dad don't pay for you anymore, right? Like, no, whenever I finally get more, what I'm choosing to do now with little is going to actually determine what I get to do with more. And without the right foundation in place, money only gets more stressful. Do you know that one of the primary reasons of why couples get divorced in marriage is money. It's the tension, it's the stress, it's the, it's the friction that happens based on how you handle your money. Now, the reason why this is also something you talk about is because your school does a great job of giving you knowledge about everything. Like, I bet there are 74 different majors that are represented in this room, and every one of you is like, I don't know half the stuff I'm learning, but I'm getting good grades. <laughs> because all they do is they sit there and they give you information and they ask you to regurgitate it back to them. And do you remember half of what you learned two weeks ago? Probably not. No. See, school will teach you everything about knowledge except personal financial wisdom. It shows up zero places in your content, in your curriculum, in your majors. It doesn't exist. You can literally ace calculus but have no idea what a budget is. If you're in calculus currently, I just want you to know that you're smarter than everyone in here, so let's figure out how to do a budget because it's super easy. I was an English major. Like, I, the last math I ever did in my life was my senior year in high school because I did it right. But I still had to figure out how to have a budget. I still had to figure out how to find wisdom when it came to my finances. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to actually give you some practical ways you can do this. We're going to talk about that at the end. What are some practical ways that you can actually put wisdom into your wealth? What can you do? I want to give you some practical ways that I think are really going to change your life. But I don't want to sit here and just give you a financial talk. Because at the end of the day, that's not the source of the problem. That's not the ends of the problem. You getting a budget is a means to an ends, but it's not the source of our problem. And so what I want to be able to do is to take this wisdom and apply it to your life because wisdom is applied knowledge. But the wisdom we're gonna go after for you to be able to say I'm living my best life when it comes to money ultimately is gonna come down to something of how you view money. And something of how you view Jesus when it comes to money. See, Jesus isn't just concerned with how you do money and what you do with money. He's far more concerned with what money does to you. And so the very first thing that I want us to spend some time talking about, the first thing we're going to land on for a few minutes, is not the practical side of money, but the spiritual side of money. How does money actually interact with your faith? How do finances and faith actually play out in your life? So the first thing I want you to know is, has to do with your view of money, is this. How you view your money now is how you will view your money later. See, what you're doing now is you're developing a relationship with money. Even if you got negative $6, you're making decisions that are determining a relationship that you have with money. Because ultimately what you're choosing is how you view it. And see, money will hold a certain place in your life, but by default, all of us are actually viewing money in a certain way. For some of us, we view money like this. It's all mine. Like you're a dragon. You're like, uh-huh, I'm gonna get all of it that I can. Never do anything with it. I'm just gonna sit on it because it's nice to have. Look at how many zeros I got in my bank account. Like, but in your mind, it's all mine. And so you view money like it's this exclusive relationship that was designed for your personal consumption. 
Maybe you'll, sit, maybe you'll get off the gold pile and you'll throw a few coins online to a certain place and they have a sale because you've got to have the newest kicks. And that's the, everything that money can give to you is to supply your personal shoe collection. I have friends that do this. It's quite impressive, but it's not best. Maybe for some of you, you view money as the solution. You view it as a solution because of your circumstances, because of where you came from, because of the zip code you were born into, because of the privilege that your parents have. And you've started to view money as the way out. And what you think is, man, more money, no problems. Like Big E, you were on to something. But in college, you think it's no money, more problems. Because that's what I'm living in. I got so many issues and money is one. But the reality is that just because you have more money doesn't mean your problems go away. But if you view it like it's a solution, you're going to have an issue. Maybe for some of you, you view it like it's the main goal. Maybe you picked your major simply because of the amount of money that it will provide for you when you're done. You're like, I'm miserable. I hate this, but I make a lot of money. Well, those two things actually don't line up, and yet one is actually a pursuit that so many of us go after, and so much of our culture goes after. We view money as the most important thing. Remember, that's why Google says it's the most valuable thing. What's most expensive is most valuable. Maybe for some of you, the idea of having a lot of money would give you validation. This plays into the emotional side of where you've come from, what you've done. Maybe you've got some insecurities based on relationships that you've had or the way that people treated you in the past or you viewed how much your parents struggled to provide for you or there are some of you who are struggling so much financially right now that you feel like once you get enough of it, it's this gateway drug to feeling powerful. But once I get enough money, then I'll be able to take over these situations. Then I'll be able to prove all of them wrong. Then I'll be able to validate myself. And for some of you, money is an idol because you think it's gonna provide you security. And having enough becomes the source of your peace. But the problem with having enough is we learned two weeks ago one of the people who had more than anyone else, his name's John, John Rockefeller. And what he said when someone asked him, hey, John, how much is like enough? And he said, just a little bit more. See, money always leaves you wanting. It always leaves you wanting more. And if that's true, then can it truly provide you the peace, the comfort, and the security that you're looking for? And see, knowing what money is to you is super important because not only how you view it now will determine your relationship later, but here's what's also true. How you view your money will determine how you use your money. How you view your money will determine how you use your money. And this matters so much because the relationship that you have with money is a barometer to your spiritual maturity. Your relationship with money is a barometer to your spiritual maturity. The intersection of faith and finances actually say a lot about you and your faith and where you are in life. It's in this intersection that we actually see this massive challenge that's, that exists for all of us, especially if you wanna be a follower of Jesus. So that's why I started by talking about this idea of following Jesus and it actually leading to your best possible life. Because if you wanna do that, then every one of us have a challenge that exists when it comes to faith and finances. And guys, Jesus knows this. Did you know that whenever Jesus talked in his ministry, all the things we have listed of what Jesus said in scripture, Jesus talks more about money than he does heaven. And that's super telling for us. Because see, for a lot of us, we think that following Jesus 
is this thing we do now so that we can get something later. A lot of us have this super cheap, super lazy, incredibly shallow faith idea that if I just do enough to meet the minimum entrance requirements, then later on I'll get to be with Jesus. But what Jesus says constantly over and over and over again is that he's not trying to get you to be with him now so that you can be with him later. He's trying to get to be with you now so that you can be with him now. He's trying to bring heaven to earth. He's concerned with you living your best possible life now. And he wants you to be able to say, I'm living my best life now. It's not just a later thing. It's a now thing. And he knows that for people, this topic of money and of wealth and what it can do to your heart is paramount to actually finding that life that you want. And so I want you to look at what he says. Jesus actually gathered a ton of people around him. He would have stood on top of this mountain and kind of talked down to them, not talked down at them, but to them to be able to explain how to live the best possible life. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, and we see it in the book of Matthew. And in chapter six, we see Jesus talking about money. This is the example I was giving you. Here's what he says. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. This doesn't mean like you've got gold chests that are tucked away, hidden underground. You've got to have keys to unlock like it's a video game. He's talking about something completely different. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves. Here's what you do instead. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. He's saying the problem with wealth is you can lose it. So instead of putting all your security, all your validation, all your affirmation, all your value in something that you can lose, put it in something that you can't. But when he's talking about treasure, what he's actually talking about is not your ability to like have a map and go be a pirate and have all this gold in a chest. That's not what this is. When he's saying that you have treasure, what he's talking about is your stuff. He's talking about your things. He's talking about your money, but more than that, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about your focus. He's talking about your attention. He's talking about what you're choosing to give your time and your life to, what you value the most. And he starts to present this dichotomy of how you want to live. And what Jesus says is that you can choose one of two things from here. You can choose to store up treasures on earth, or you can choose to store up treasures in heaven. And the way he talks about it, it really is saying, you can become a hoarder, on earth, and an earthly hoarder, or you become eternally an investor. You can choose to do things now with the finances that you have that can actually store up something for you later because it's far greater good than what you're experiencing. So it's earthly hoarding versus internally investing. In other words, I can hoard all my wealth right now to buy whatever I want, but like we know, it can all be lost. Or I can listen to this advice of Jesus because what he's trying to get you to see is he's trying to get you not to make a longer investment on your money, on your stuff. He's trying to get to actually make you invest something with your heart. Because in the end of the day, money is not a wealth thing. No one's gonna teach you that in school. No one's gonna talk to you about that. You're not gonna find that in a video. Dave Ramsey doesn't even talk about that. Money is not a wealth thing. Money is a heart thing. It's a heart issue far more than it is a wealth issue. We talk about what we have because really at the bottom, bottom line, end of the day, it's a kingdom issue. See, this is why Jesus knows that faith and finances in that intersection is paramount to your spiritual life, 
to you saying, I'm living my best life. Because what I can do with my money is whatever I choose to do with it. Right? He gives it to you, but then thankfully, he gives you free will. He gives you the choice. And what money and driving after money will do to you is it will make you think that you've got to build, if you go after money, my kingdom first. Money is the means to my ends of my kingdom first. Or what Jesus says is you can choose to use money not as the ends to your kingdom, but as the means to build God's kingdom. I can choose to view it in a completely different way than what the world would say. And that's how you store up treasures in heaven. Is when you start to view your money not as something that you get to own, but as something that you get to steward. It's something that ultimately he's providing for you. So when I view money as something, y'all, don't miss this. When I view money as something that I get to own versus viewing it as something I get to steward, or take care of, I view it completely differently. Here's how. When I view it as something that I own, ultimately it's mine. And what I do with it for me matters most. When I view it as something that I steward and I take care of, now I actually start to live out what Jesus tells me to do. Because the way of Jesus, if you're ever curious of what that looks like, is to put others before yourself. Because Jesus says that if you want to follow me, there's a new command I give you, that you would go and love others the way I have loved you. And Jesus gave everything for you so that you didn't have to. So the way of Jesus is a death to yourself to find life in him. And that life in him, that best possible life, is using your life to make everyone and everything else around you better. So in other words, to be very clear, If you're a follower of Jesus, what this means is that this idea of money and wealth, even if you feel uncomfortable and even if you're like, I don't want to talk about it, get out of my stuff, I don't want to play this game, maybe I am just like my parents, even though that was my worst nightmare because I don't want you to talk about money. The problem with that is that if you're a follower of Jesus, this is a non-negotiable. It's a command. And Jesus talks about it because he knows that money will wrap itself around your heart and strangle you. And he doesn't want that for you. So if you're a follower of Jesus, providing wisdom into the way that you live with wealth is a non-negotiable. Providing wisdom is the non-negotiable. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, can we also just call this what it is? If you're like, I just showed up here, you know, we're singing these songs and you're talking super serious. Now we're talking about money and this is not what I signed up for. But all of us can agree that there's something in our brains that knows that even if I make my life all about me and me getting everything, it's still probably gonna leave me wanting it's still probably not best to do that. But in order to actually do this, in order to make it about others and to advance the kingdom and not make it all about me, there's some things we've got to do. We've got to figure out how to navigate those tensions of faith and finances super well because it will always be a tension. Watch, how many of you would like to get married one day? That's not like a dating question where you look around. No, just genuinely, before you get scared, how many of you would like to get married one day? Show hands, show hands, Okay. Probably most of us. Now watch. How many of you would like to get a divorce one day? Y'all are like, why are you even asking that question? Who, would, who in their right brain would ever say that? No one would say that. No one ever signs up for marriage and said, I can't wait for it to end. 
I don't even need a prenup. Let's just go ahead and let's just get to the ending of this thing. Yeah. Hey, I get your signing off for us to get married. Can you annul this real fast? That's my goal. No one has ever said that. And if two people ever go in and doing that, they're insane. If you're ever around someone who's like, that's not what I'm going for. I can't wait for this to end. You just end it now, okay? Don't even get into it. But if none of us would say that, the, that what we actually want in our marriage is if for to end in divorce, and yet one of the primary reasons why marriages end in divorce is money, then it would be wise for us to figure out how to put wisdom into our wealth now before we get there. Why? Because wisdom is looking to the past to know what's gonna happen in the future before it happens. You've never been married, so your past doesn't have marriage in it, but everyone else's does. And there are far too many examples of marriages not working well because of finances for you not to look at it and say, I need to figure this out now. And at the end of the day, if this is really what you want, if this is really the tension that you wanna figure out how to navigate really well, what you've gotta understand is that the great part about this, every one of you, no matter what your major is, no matter what class you're in, no matter what your parents did, is that you have this agency, you have this empowerment to realize that what you choose to do with money is your choice. No one can force you. No one can make you. I mean, the government can, and then there's consequences, but at the end of the day, like, you're choosing to pay your taxes. You're choosing to buy those shoes. You're choosing to go get another $17 cup of coffee. Like, you're choosing all of these things. And like we said at the beginning, you make your decisions, but then those decisions make you. So if you don't have a healthy relationship with money, it will become your undoing. And so this is why we get it so wrong. It's because so many of us think that what Jesus wants is our money, that he wants our stuff, and he doesn't want us to have any of it. But that's not what he says. He's not sitting here saying, so give me your stuff. And if you want to follow me, it's going to suck. You're going to have nothing. You're going to have to trust me with nothing. That's never what actually happens in reality. That's not even what he says next. A few verses later, here's, here's why he knows this is a big deal. Here's why he knows it has to do with your heart far more than your stuff. Because look what he says. He says, for where your treasure your focus, your attention, your attraction, your value, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever becomes your treasure is what becomes principal in your life. It's what becomes primary in your life. And there's a link between your money and your heart that Jesus is saying is completely inescapable. So how you choose to navigate this tension, this relationship, this intersection of faith and finances matters matters so much for your eternity. Because whatever you're giving your heart to is ultimately what you're saying you are loyal to. So now your decisions are informed by where your treasure is. Your decisions are informed by where your heart is. And see, Jesus isn't asking for your money. He's asking for something far bigger. He's asking for your heart. And what he's saying through these verses is a simple question that you need to evaluate if you want to put wisdom in your life with wealth. He's saying, what's ruling your life? What is it if you had to sit back and evaluate what is actually ruling your life? Because for a lot of reasons, it's probably one of two things. It's either the pursuit of money or it's the pursuit of God. 
What is ruling your life? Where are you finding your provision, your sustenance? Where are you placing your trust in your ability to go and get more stuff, more money, more wealth? Or are you actually trying to say, but God, you want my heart, so I'm gonna try to follow you. Even how do I actually do this? I don't wanna go get more stuff. I want more of you. Are you storing up treasures in heaven by giving it away to others? Or are you storing up treasures on earth by making it all about you? See, if you really wanna know what my heart is, you know where you look at that? You don't look at the fact that I'm a pastor. You don't look at the fact that I got a microphone in my face and I talk to you every week. You don't look at that to see whether or not my heart is actually following Jesus. You know where you look? You look at my bank account. You see how I'm living my life. Am I actually following Jesus? Am I actually pursuing God or am I pursuing money? You go and look at my giving statements. Am I actually giving myself away financially? You go look at the value that I place on material things. If I wanna be decked out in the nicest, dopest drip ever, there's something about my brain that says there's value in that. You start to check out where I put my value in material things. In other words, you go and you follow my paper trail. You go and check the receipts. And you do it with me, but guess what? You can do it with you. Because that's what ultimately is going to be determined. And see, when Jesus knows this reality, and he's talking about the weight and the, the hold that money can have on your heart, look at how he ends about the reality of why this matters so much. He says, so wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. He says, because no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. This is not a question, ready, of how you use money. This is a question of who is your Lord. This is a lordship question. What am I following? Am I following the pursuit of wealth in the world or am I following the pursuit of God? Because no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You will hate the fact that God is trying to get in your heart because it's messing with your stuff or you will be so devoted to what he's doing that you will despise the ability that you have to be selfish and put your gain first. He says you cannot serve both God and money. So who is Lord over your life? Is it God or is it your money? See, at the center of your life, there's something. You put something at the center of your life. What you treasure most, what you value most is sitting on that throne of your life. And from that center of, of your life is where everything else flows from. It is the wellspring from where all your decisions come from and the relationships you have and what you believe and what you pursue. Your ability to say, I'm living my best life is ultimately determined on what is at the center of your life. So what is it that you're pursuing most? If you're honest. Now, let me be very clear. This doesn't mean that you don't have money and that you can't have wealth. One of the godliest men who's poured into my life since I was a kid has given me more stuff than I ever deserved is the father of one of my oldest friends. His name's Frank Queen. Frank Queen is a multimillionaire. This guy has more money than I can even imagine because of the success of his businesses and his inventions and his shrewd stewardship of being an incredibly hard worker God has blessed him with a lot. But if you go and ask Frank Queen, what's the thing that he values the most? It's being generous with it. He gives away more than I've ever seen in my entire life. And before you get it twisted and think that you can't follow God and have a lot of money, King David, Solomon's dad, the first king of Israel, was the wealthiest man on the planet. 
and yet we call him the godliest man who ever lived. You see the problem here? If we think that God just wants our stuff, we've missed the reality of history and of examples and of stories and of wisdom. So it's not sitting here saying that you can't have stuff. It's something far different. And so how is it that you can tell? How can you tell if money is your only thing you go after? How can you tell if it's only for your consumption? How is it that you can tell if it's only for your validation or your security? How can you tell if you're living like Frank Queen or you're living like David or you're living, getting it wrong? You're living like the world would tell you. See, if it's your ultimate goal, Jesus would sit here and talk to you and say, you probably picked the wrong goal. Because at the end of the day, what that means is you haven't picked him. See, money demands self-centered living because it's all about getting more. But Jesus demands self-giving living, giving yourself away. Because ultimately, God doesn't want to compete with your stuff. He doesn't. He doesn't want to compete with your stuff. He doesn't want to compete with your wealth. With your wealth, at the end of the day, what God is truly trying to do is he's trying to see where you are and he's trying to say, I've got more for you. And here it is. And you can trust me. That, at the end of the day, is what he's trying to do. He's not trying to compete with those things. He's trying to sit here and tell you something about money that has far more to do with your heart than does your wealth. Here's what he's trying to tell you. Then I'll put it up here. Is that God doesn't want to have your stuff. He doesn't want to have your money. He just doesn't want your money to have you. God doesn't want to have your money. He just doesn't want your money to have you. And what he knows is that this is what's possible for all of us. He knows that this is where all of us are fully, of, uh, fully able to go to. Because even the story of Judas, who betrayed Jesus and turned him over to the Roman soldiers, you know what, Jesus, what Judas betrayed Jesus for? It wasn't power, it wasn't provision, it wasn't a seed, it wasn't influence, it was money. And there are so many times that you can betray your faith to build your finances. And you can sit here and act like, well, I'm gonna choose my finances instead of being faithful. And it will lead to your life being ruined. Maybe not physically, but eternally. You're stepping away from him. So at the end of the day, if it's all about your heart, then how can you actually do this? How can you apply wisdom to your life? How can you put wisdom in place with your wealth? There are three simple things I want you to know. We're gonna go through these quick because you get to apply them. The very first thing you do is you've got to understand that you give, you save, and you live. That's it. You give, you save, you live. If you apply these things to your life, you'll start to see there is so much wisdom available for you. And your faith will grow even if your finances grow, your faith will still grow if you apply these to your life. And the very first one you do, and it matters that it's first, is you give. You give it away first. The moment it hits your account, you give it away. How much do you give away? Look at it as percentages. There is reason for this that I'm not gonna get into, but all wisdom would tell you that whenever you get your money, you give the first 10% of it away. You give it away to somewhere or someone that's in need you find a cause, a reason that you sign up for, that you love, a nonprofit, a missionary. You give it to a church that you trust. You give it back to God to say, thank you for providing all of this to me. I trust you for my provision, so I gladly give this first portion back to you. I give you my best, my first, because I trust you. So whenever you get that, whenever it hits your account, the first thing you do is you give. Give 10% of it away. The next thing you do is you save. 
You give, then you save. This order matters greatly. And a lot of people would say, you give 10, and then you save 10, and then you, and then you live on 80. No, 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 no. That's actually not the right percentage. Because right now is the greatest possible time for you to begin saving and investing the wealth that God is going to provide for you. Even if you got $10 to your name, you can do this. How do I know that's true? Because my 10-year-old, my 8-year-old, my 6-year-old have started doing this, and you can too. You give 10 and then you save 20%. Save 20%. And here's why you get to do it now. Because before you have money, if you start putting these rhythms in place, you're going to be able to do it whenever you have a lot of money because you're not gonna know any different. That first 30% you get isn't even yours to play with. You give 10 away, you save and invest 20. Save it for a rainy day, save it for the future, save it for the best possible life you want down the road and not just now. And then that frees you up to live, to live with 70. To put boundaries around the means that you have and to not spend more than you have. To actually spend what you earn. And if you would do this, if you would give and save and live at these portions of 10 and 20 and 70, I promise you, I promise you, promise you, promise you, you will find that wealth doesn't run your life, but you're able to run your wealth in your life. And then you'll be able to say, I'm living my best life. Now, there are a lot of practical ways that we can do this. You get to talk about some of those. If you're in a small group or you're gonna have conversation, I'd love to talk more about the practical ways that you can go and live this out with budgets and with financing and all those things. But at the end of the day, you gotta take these truths and you gotta apply them to your life. And that's how you're gonna live the best life when it comes to money. So let me pray for y'all. And then I got some fun things that we get to do afterwards. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you care enough about us to talk about this. Thank you that you care enough about us to want to get involved in the little, the little small details of our life to make it better because ultimately you know that something is going to grab a hold of our hearts. We're going to pursue something so we can either choose to pursue something that's not you or we can choose to pursue you. And Jesus, my ask is that we would choose to pursue you, that we would try to find wisdom in our life. We'd go find wise voices, we'd make wise decisions, and then we run everything through the filter of what it is that you call us to do with our life. So Father, may we live for you. And we're so grateful that you loved us first and you loved us so much and we love you right back. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.